Hello and welcome to another episode of the Poorly Informed Podcast. Um, my name is Max. I will be your host for this evening. I am here with uh, Peter, Theo, and Will, the normal, the normal gang. Um, so safe to say that 2020 has not been the best of years. The news has been quite negative. Um, you know, nothing really has uh, come out as a particularly uplifting or happy stories. But us here, we like to. We like to think a bit differently. We want to shed some light on the more positive stories that may have happened this year that some people have missed or things that we think are particularly important for the future. So I reckon if we just hop right into it. And so does anyone want to go first? Uh, I'll go first if no one else will. Um, because I have been following a story which is I've been like interested in for a while. It's not just this year, but it's been definitely kicking off this year and it's essentially um the climate neutrality arms race that's going on within international politics and it's the idea that like like the arms race or the space race where countries are racing against each other to get to bigger peaks or bigger guns getting into space first it's a race by countries to hit carbon neutrality quickest or not be the slowest and this year it's kicked off massively, and I just think it's pretty cool to see. So I'll, I'll tell you this, like, the story this year. Uh, we've had the EU has been talking about climate neutrality for like a couple years now, and they've been looking at hitting climate neutrality by 2050. Um, and they were planning on holding a vote on it on like June the 20th, and it just so happened that a week before that vote was scheduled to take place, the UK decided to pass a law that would uh, legally enshrine a climate target of 2050 into UK law. Like a week before the EU would, the UK said, no, we're going to be the first big country to do this. We're going to say it now. Um, not, that, like, not that the UK would ever do anything out of, out of an emotional relationship with the EU on any oh, level whatsoever. No, no. It just so happens that the UK is a quicker better, more handsome country than the EU, you know. Just so happened to be slightly quicker than them, better than them on, like, environmental issues. And then the EU vote doesn't actually uh, pass on the 20th. It gets pushed down because some countries are resisting. However, like, 15 days after we held our votes, on the 27th of June, France voted to be climate neutral by 2050 as well, legally binding, because France does not want to be like seen as being significantly behind the UK. So France sort of we said something France we said something quicker than the EU and then France hopped on to be as good as us, you know. And then it, it calmed down for a couple months. And then like out of nowhere in September China announced it would aim to be climate neutral by uh, twenty sixty. And um this statement is probably the most ambitious like climate target in history. Like so, the UK we peaked in our emissions in 1990, and if we want to be climate neutral uh, by 2050, we've had 60 years of reducing our like carbon output. The China, like China, is expecting to peak in emissions by 2030, so we'll be reducing carbon emissions to nothing in 30 years, which is like a massively bold statement. It's the biggest target ever said. Um, so China said this in like late September, and two weeks later. Uh, Joe Biden announced that he would make America climate neutral by 2050 if he is elected. 
because Joe Biden and America don't want to be seen as being slower or worse than or behind China. And America has never made this sort of statement before. Like, ever. They would normally stay very far away from this sort of thing. Um, but China said it. America has to, like, respond to it because they can't be seen as abdicating environmental leadership to China. Um, so America says this in early November. At the end of November, so a month after what China said, um, Japan announced that they would be climate neutral by 2050. And again, this is a bold move for Japan because the Japanese government doesn't normally make such, like, bold forward statements and two days after what japan said south korea said they would be carbon neutral by 2050 as well because obviously south korea and japan they're sort of rivals of each other they're both rivals of uh, china like no one wants to be the slowest no one wants to be the worst and then finally like to finish this year off in the middle of december the eu has finally committed to climate neutrality by 2050 because the EU doesn't want to be the least progressive, the least environmental, or like the slowest country out of China or the US or the UK. So it sort of had, it was like one country will act and will say a date or make a statement, and this like energizes and forces other countries to match it or exceed it because, you know, no country wants to be the slowest, no country wants to be the worst. And I just think it's really positive and it shows that like, massive progress can be made and can be agreed upon. I wouldn't be surprised if we woke up on New Year's Day next year and Saudi Arabia was just like, yeah, the whole oil thing? Yeah, we're not really doing that anymore. We're just going to be like solar solar panel powerhouse in the world. Oil? Pfft, screw oil. Who needs oil? Like, that is, that's a trend that things are going on. That's quite, that's quite something. It's like, Everyone's... What would the UK do if France said, oh, we'll be climate neutral by 2040? Like, then the UK, we're now in a predicament because if if France could be climate neutral by 2040, then surely we can as well. We're like, we're the same size, we've got the same number of people, with the same, like, economy. So, it's like, if one, I'd be excited to see if, like, one country says something, how it would force, how other countries would react. And we've seen it positively this year, and I'm hoping it will continue onwards. It's sort of a bit like a domino effect, I guess. You mm. know, you have one go and then everyone else thinks, ah, well, we've got to match them there because no one wants to lose this. And I suppose it's the one time a kind of arms race might not necessarily be a bad thing because this is, you know, ostensibly trying to help um, in sort of in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it's interesting to see the competitiveness between nations not resulting in, you know, conflict or, or you know, bad results for once. It's Yeah, I suppose it's quite a refreshing sight, really. Yeah, I mean, but there is, I suppose, with all of these targets, there's always the risk whether it is just, you know, um, you know, are, are they just saying it or are they actually taking steps towards meeting it? Um, lots of the time, it's just saying it. Like, the UK, we can just change our law again to say, oh, we're not actually going to be 2050. But, for example, the EU has actually announced, like, a fairly large, fairly comprehensive plan on how they're planning on reaching climate neutrality by 2050. Um, and I feel like, if again, if one country does it, and if one country proves it can be done, then the ball goes into the, like, the, um, yeah. the court of the other. So it's like Austria have said they want to be climate neutral by 2040. And if Austria manages to do that somehow you know, they can prove it can be done. And sure, it had to be scaled up for other European countries. 
but it makes it harder for there to be excuses. Um, and so I suppose we, because it's not like they make one of them, one country's making a small pledge and being like, well, something's better than, than nothing that these lot are doing. Like now, if you slip up, about five other countries are just going to overtake you. There's now yeah, a case, as you said. You, you look stupid. Like, we would look very stupid if we were decades behind France. No one in the UK wants to be decades behind France. Like, if Ireland goes climate neutral before us, it, it, you know, national pride, which I normally am not a fan of, could be positive here. Mm. And is being positive here. That is, yeah, that is, does sound very promising and is very positive. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say on that on that matter. To us, anyone else have any final points? We want to go on to, uh, you know, go on to someone else's idea. Not particularly. I just think, yeah, it's it's uh, good to see competition not necessarily being a bad thing for once. <laughs> that is, That's such a that communist is... thing to say. <laughs> Hey, hey, I was being non-ideological here. <laughs> Competition being a good thing for once. Oh, forgive me, you were being bipartisan. Yeah. Well, you know, normally competition between neighbours and countries ends in tanks, guns and bombs. So I feel like, you know, if we can get solar panels and, you know, uh, wind farms out of it, I think that's probably a step in the right direction. That's true. So, Will, what do you think is the most positive thing to come out of 2020? Okay, so I, I thought as, you know, the year of 2020 has been, you know, we've been struck down by a pandemic. It's been all a bit of a mess. I thought I'd talk about a, a good thing in the area of medicine. And this is that it, uh, in Africa, they've had problems with wild polio. Um, it sort of briefly disappeared after, you know, a mass uh, immunization campaign in the 90s. But then it came back and a series of wars and various, um, you know, people being scared of the vaccines, um, sort of a lot of like uh, anti-vaccination um, worker, you know, sort of hysteria in places and, and so, uh, you, often by militant groups sort of exploiting this and, you know, accusing them of being, you know, stooges for the West or whatever. Um, so particularly in areas like that, the immunization rates have gone down and it's been, you know, um, I think particularly in... I think it's northeast Nigeria, but various other places as well. But one of the great things that happened this year is through the hard work of many, many thousands of dedicated, you know, um, vaccination workers and health professionals across the uh, across across the continent, they have managed to completely eliminate across the entire con- uh, continent wild polio. And I mean, this is something that in the nineteen nineties, like hit like seventy five thousand children a year, and you know, left many of those crippled. Um, you know, it is it is not a it is not a f- nice disease. It's a very it spreads very quickly, and it can be really damaging um, in under uh, immunized areas. But now in Africa, the only strain that is left is one that's a slight mutation on the um, on the vaccine. It's weaker and it's easier to deal with, and it should be you know reasonably easily. Uh, removed from there so that is i think a great step forward particularly you know vaccines seem to be saving us um a couple of times this year and this is an example of you know one of the earliest mass vaccines you know sort of really sort of finishing the job and showing you know we can eliminate these things we did it with smallpox we're very close to doing it with polio and you know how many more of these diseases can we you know get rid of and, and ensure people can live healthy and happy lives so I, I think you know in a in a 
year marred by disease, it's good to have um, another disease that looks like it's uh, on its way out and uh, won't be bothering uh, the world again anytime soon, we hope. Yeah, because in the same sort of same vein as that, I know there's been quite a lot of pros, uh, progress along like HIV and AIDS as well this year, and there seems like there's been a lot of medical sort of breakthroughs and research sort of um, behind the scenes from the big medical story that everyone's been talking about this year. Didn't CRISPR? Were there a couple of breakthroughs of like was CRISPR gene editing this year as well, which has been like used on cancer patients successfully, which is really cool. Yeah, so, you know, it's hopefully if we all get through this, you know, the world could be a bit of a healthier place. Yeah, I mean, if you ignore, definitely huge invest. Sorry to cut you off, Mac. Um, so <laughs> definitely huge investment in medicine, into R and D, into innovation, and into perhaps competition as well. Is certainly going to produce huge health benefit because healthcare is one of the few industries that hasn't been shaken up by automation and globalization very much certainly in the United States so if if one of the consequences of the pandemic is revive is reviving our global health institutions is reviving big pharmaceutical companies then that's a good thing uh, because drugs and vaccines are expensive but if we can provide incentive for them if we can provide imperative and a public will for them then we're more likely to get a whole lot more yeah, and hopefully, you know, there's been some improve. I know there's been improvements in infrastructure sort of surrounding vaccines and medical stuff this year. Yeah, um, and I mean, the yeah. thing is, you know, is all, this was worked on for COVID-19, but, you know, we all have learned a lot. You know, you don't have an entire world plowing, you know, billions into the research of one disease, but, you know, the techniques they use to fight that, the, um, you know, the infrastructure built up around that, as you said, is all going to help, you know, go forward. So I, I think, you know, Coronavirus is is a, has been a tragic, um, you know, caused many tragic a year for many people, but there will be some advances that will go on to hopefully stop this happening again, or if it does, make it, you know, reduced uh, in severity, as well as dealing with you know seemingly unrelated things that that technology that we've developed for dealing with COVID can also go on to work for other for other applications and improve lives in other ways. So yeah, I, I think on the medical on the medical side of things, um, this, particularly the speed at which you know a COVID vaccine has been turned around is is just quite frankly very impressive. Um, so I, I think on that front things are looking you know it shows what we can do when we all decide it really needs to be done. Uh, yes, very. Um, so Theo, how how are you going to top that one? Well, um, I've got a question to all of you, and I would like a spoken one-word response. How has your university's online course been this past term? Mixed. Got us all said, like, um, the same time? Well, I don't know. I was kind of... Well, mix is a good... Why, why mix? What sort of things are going wrong with it? Well, well I, you know, in, in some ways it's all right because, you know, you can, get, you, you can do a lecture in bed, which is always rather nice. But in other ways, you know, Trying to motivate yourself when the only you know window into your educational life is your the screen little screen on your laptop and little guy talking in the corner who occasionally cuts out because the internet's rubbish, it is not the perfect way of of trying to you know get a degree or um, learn would things. You, would you say that your lecturers are comfortable using online technology like Microsoft Teams? 
Definitely not, no. Would you say they know how to use breakout rooms and recording and the in-app in, uh, chat? God, Considering no. yeah, my... Well, I would say... No, go on, Max. We'll, we'll say no. We'll oh, say... I'll just say their, te- their technical know-how is uh, not, not the best, let's well, say. Well, exactly. And so what I present to you is one of the few mass institutions in England, maybe even the world, that has in fact come out of the pandemic more technically competent than it went in, which is the church. Which, since the 1500s, when Gutenberg invented the printing press, had been slightly behind on the whole technological thing. I think we can all agree. Most churchgoers do tend to be older, do tend to be pretty rubbish at using modern tech. But since March, every week, often several times a week, every church in England and most churches in the world, millions of churches, have been creating YouTube live services, running services on Zoom, and not using basic things like email that we take for granted, but a whole range of fairly low-level but important and necessary technologies day in, day out, every single day, for months. And in fact, well before our lecturers started to screw up using breakout rooms and team chats, weirdly... About 100 parish priests across England could use Zoom, could use breakout rooms, could use the recording function with ease, which is not something I ever thought, you know, would be a consequence of the year 2020, but turns out parish priests are more technologically advanced than most of our lectures. I don't know. Um, but, like, in fact, the pandemic has meant that our whole generation of often older churchgoers have been given technological skills because they have to have them to attend church. And that meant that you've got a whole generation of technological education and you've got a whole institution in the UK which has upgraded its capabilities, upgraded communication in one go. And regardless of whether you're religious or not, because you guys aren't, um, that's still quite an impressive thing. It's still, I think, quite a good thing because it means the church can reach more people, it can communicate better, it can do more outreach in the community, it can distribute food parcels um, and emergency supplies, as I have been doing across dozens of towns and cities in the UK. Um, and our grandparents, who many of whom will go to church, are now, I was going to say way better, are now a bit better at using things like Zoom and YouTube, which is a pretty cool thing. But that's my, that's, that's, that's my slightly left field submission for but best thing to come out of This may surprise you, but me and Max attended a virtual chamber choir performance. <laughs> which was being live-streamed we on, did, yes. on Facebook, which was... Was that held in one of the churches in, or abbeys in Bath? Um, it, yeah, it was held in the, the main abbey. Yeah, it was held in the main abbey in Bath, and it was being live-streamed to, uh, like, 700 people or something on Facebook. Um, and that was... I was honestly surprised with audio quality and the angles and, like, the you video. Would be, you would be astonished at the capabilities to set up at a lot of churches. Like, the church I go to here... Um, and the church to go to at uni have banks of computer screen, wires everywhere, lights, full camera setup, like green screen <clears> backgrounds. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, 700 people. That doesn't surprise me because so many people are tuning in. And actually, no one's noticed it, but the church is now one of the most technologically capable, on a, on a mass level, technologically capable institutions in the world for the first time since, you know, they were printing the Bible uh, about five copies a day, which is revolutionary for the time. Um, I don't know much about how printing presses worked in the 1400s. But, but 
That's quite impressive. Can we agree that's quite an impressive shift? For sure. Yeah, I mean, any way to help more people, you know, keep in contact with each other, especially older people that, you know, there's often even, you know, not during COVID and not this year, there is quite a serious issue with old people feeling lonely, you know, during winters and just sort of most of the time. So any sort of development which has helped them become, you know, get better at staying in contact with people and overall helping them to stay positive is... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had not thought of it that way, actually. And I mean, on a personal level, um, you know, couldn't see the grandparents uh, on Christmas Day, but we managed to get a uh, video chat working in under 10 minutes, which for us is a bit of a record. So you know what? As a, you know, a step in the right direction, I think that's good. And I think, you know, more people being able to connect in more ways is good. And technical literacy is always good, you know. Technical yeah. literacy, that's a good term. Yeah. Yeah, I still thought it was quite an interesting way of looking at things, as you said, Max. Um, the uh, a whole technological revival. Almost. So, yeah, I hope that that brings you a slightly different kind of 2020, 2020 cheer. Yeah, I mean, on the same same topic of, like, technology, um, my kind of uh, positive story for this year was sort of just the general advancements in space travel. Because as everyone knows, I think space is really cool. And any progress, which means that we can uh, leave this planet, go into space, sounds good to me. Um, so yeah, I'm just sort of wanted to talk about the general advancements made by NASA, SpaceX, and similar organizations over the year. Because I didn't realize that we landed that spacecraft. You know, you know when we landed that spacecraft we, on when an I, asteroid. When I personally we, landed when that. I per- yeah, when we contribute. Okay. Uh, this podcast that was, this was actually year. piloting it. That you know, we moonlight as a rocket engineer. <laughs> That's why we've been making less episodes because we do work for NASA quite often. <laughs> they contract yeah, out but... to us when they have a particularly technical problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I just didn't realise that was this year. I mean, the way everything's been going, I in my head that was like two years ago, but no. Turns out it was it was this year. Why why and this year has there been a particular boom in space exploration? Well, I think it's sort of the development of the private sector um, has sort of because obviously uh, NASA's funding has Will is shaking his fist at me because the term private. Did you watch private the, anything? The space, just mixing. Did you watch the SpaceX launch? I, this is just a slight aside because I was I was watching the SpaceX launch That's and. Cool. You know, it went on for several hours. They had to delay it. I think it was cancelled once and they moved it like a day or something. But the yeah. entire time, it was like on a loop. The people presenting it would go, did you know, this is the first private uh, space flight from American soil delivering humans to the space station ever. Did you know it was private? It's also American and it's also still private. And it's American. SpaceX, private, American. And you know what? Sure, they're putting men into space. That's very impressive. But I really wish they would just be a little bit more subtle about it. Sorry, ran over. I apologise. Just needed to get that off my chest. So, but, but will space is cool? Would you? I'm sure that, you know, the little, you know, the small fact that it's the result of capitalism and all of that stuff, would that stop you from using it to go into space? Well, of course it would. Someone offers me... He would, he would never is... accept a private space flight because he's too wedded to the idea of a narco-communism and that the state can provide that all this is necessary. That we shouldn't trust billionaires like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos to finance what should be a public good provided by the state through arms like NASA. 
How could you I mean, ever dream well of accepting a private space flight? The whole thing is, um, but I mean, like you know, a company like SpaceX is built off subsidies from the American government. They are essentially being contracted <laughs> out by the American government to do what NASA does. Like that's their business model. If you look at the amount of subsidies SpaceX gets, it is quite incredible. Um, at the same time, if anyone can send me up to space, I'm letting them send me up. Strap me to a rocket and let's go. Uh, you know, you know, I don't care if it explodes on the way. I just want to try. Theo, would you go to yeah, space? I mean. I don't know. I've never been that kind of. I wouldn't not... go to space. No, this but seems too dangerous. It's... It seems like. It's well, like... I mean, think of the like, that's not like all the advancements in like safety that happens this year. If you ignore the fact often... that that SpaceX one exploded a couple of weeks ago, often... if you just ignore that. It's got a lot more safer. But often the advancements in safety happen after people die. Mm. I don't want there to be an advancement in safety because I died. Yeah, I don't want there to be a Peter harness that all astronauts have to start wearing because of, like, one one spacewalk went wrong. Because, <laughs> like, uh, wasn't, it, wasn't it the Columbia Space Shuttle in the early 2000s? And it crashed on national television. And, like, because of school teachers being sent out to space in it, hundreds of schools across the United States were watching it and they watched it crash live on TV. I do not want American or British school children watching my spaceship crash live on TV. That's not something it's a... I'm happy to let Will die live on TV. That is Will's problem. I don't want to die live on TV. I think that's a personal preference. Well, this isn't very positive. <laughs> yeah, how do we get here? This is supposed to be yeah, a nice that's episode. True. <laughs> so, well, I sort of... Another thing I wanted to mention, in line with what Peter was saying about sort of, you know, general... Uh, sort of uh, climate change and sort of more environmental, more green thinking. Um, there's been a lot of work, sort of, well, just sort of progression of the work that's been going on for the last few years about reusable uh, spaceships and, like, reusable parts. There's less waste in the uh, space industry, which, you know, is always good because, you know, waste, renewable resources, that's what we want. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I guess it, it, it's... The ethics of environmental environmentalism and sustainability seem to be less of a talking shop than a couple of years ago. Like companies do actually seem to be making quite serious and considerate steps in how to be more ethical, how to yeah build and create what they have more sustainably. And that seems to be also a serious shift that we've noticed, maybe in the last year, but certainly in the last couple of years, which is I think again is is something genuinely positive. Um, as we push towards this environmental arms race that Peter's talking about. So, I think we should probably start wrapping up soon, unless anyone has any last little little positive thing they want to say. Um, I enjoyed lots of the music that came out this year. That's some good news to me. Okay, well, with that... I think this is the end of this episode of the Poorly Informed Podcast. I hope we have managed to... Uh, Maybe not change your perspective of the last year, because I don't really think that's possible, but maybe help you think about it in a tiny bit more positive way and make you a bit more hopeful for the future. So, I've been Max. Uh, I'm here with Theo, Will, and Peter, and we just hope you have a very nice 2021. Mm, hope you And good. follow us on our social media. Yes. And in order to have a very good 2021. Yes, that, that's crucial. And please do subscribe or leave us a review. Uh, if you have it in your heart. We have helped you fill your heart 
we'd appreciate you helping to fill ours by subscribing and leaving a review. It would make us very happy.